Good morning, church. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. Um, this se- section in the front row right here, we actually were, were going to give away a new Chevrolet Bronco <laughs> this morning to someone who sat on the front row in this section, um, but not this time. Maybe another time someone will be there and win the new Bronco. You know, you, you get more out of things just in general if you're sitting near the front. It's just a kind of a rule of thumb. My friend Mark Beeson taught me that years ago. I came into a big shot conference. Mark and I were walking in the room, and I got about mid-room and pulled into an aisle, and he looked at me and said, where are you going? I said, I was going to go sit down. He said, no, no, we've got to go to the front. Why? And he just said, he said, you get more if you're in the front. And he's right. So coming to the front, it's a good idea. You can win a Bronco, Ford Bronco. These are really cool, sporty vehicles. And I want to say a word of thanks for, uh, for last week. Some of you don't know this, but Beth and I celebrated 40 years of pastoring this church last week. We had a big party. It was a great time. And we just wanted to say thank you one more time for all the well wishes and 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 all of the thank yous, we, we just really appreciated it very much. It was a very special day, and uh, we're just so grateful and looking forward to what God has for us in the future. As uh, Spencer mentioned on the, on the announcements this morning, we are concluding this series that we began several weeks ago on the subject of Sabbath. Would you give me permission to encourage you one more time to think about the Sabbath? Now, we had a couple of interruptions. We had Mother's Day, that's a special occasion, and last week's celebration. And so this, this will tie it up, and I hope that it's not only thought-provoking for you today, but perhaps even inspirational. If, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. I'm going to read two verses from chapter 56, Isaiah 56, 1 and 2. Of course, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand, so as you're able, thanks for doing that. 
And this is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Now may God enlighten, encourage, inspire us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. If I say the name Fanny Crosby, how many of you know who that person is? Fanny Crosby. There's one hand, two, three. These are mostly old people in the room. Hey, listen, it takes courage to live a long time, so congratulations. Getting old is not for sissies. So good for you. Fanny Crosby lived from 1820 to 1915. And so she was almost uh, 95 years old. She was a prolific writer of hymns and poems. She was a devout Christian. She worked in a street front mission with her husband most of her life. And by the end of her life, in 1915, virtually everyone in America knew who she was knew the name, Fanny Crosby. 8,000 hymns and poems she wrote. The hymn books, the old-time hymn books are full of her, her hymns, her songs. And one of them is entitled, Don't Forget the Sabbath. It goes like this. Don't forget the Sabbath, the Lord our God hath blessed, of all the weak the brightest, of all the weak the best. It brings repose from labor. It tells of joy divine its beams of light descending with heavenly beauty shine. And then the chorus, welcome, welcome, ever welcome, blessed Sabbath day. Welcome, welcome, ever welcome, blessed Sabbath day. The last verse goes, day of sacred pleasure, its golden hours we'll spend in thankful hymns to Jesus, the children's dearest friend. O gentle, loving Savior, how good and kind thou art. How precious is thy promise to dwell in every heart. Welcome, welcome, ever welcome, blessed Sabbath day. Welcome, welcome, ever welcome, blessed Sabbath day. If you have your phones, you can see on the app today the outline for the message. I have three simple application points for the subject of Sabbath. Three simple ways that we can apply Sabbath living to our routine. And I hope that it not only informs, but it inspires. Um, I was in Kroger in Greenwood, Indiana, not long ago. Uh, Since my wife Beth endured another battle with cancer four years ago, I was her primary caregiver this time and, and learned how to do all the grocery shopping. And I do not do grocery shopping in Muncie. And so when I'm somewhere else, I buy groceries there. If I go into a grocery store in Muncie, I can't get out. (laughs) Because people like you walk up to me and say, what are you doing here? I have lots of responses to the question, like I'm washing my car or changing my shoes. What do you think I'm doing in a grocery store? (laughs) Buying groceries. 
So I was in Kroger in Greenwood where nobody knows me. And I noticed a woman at the checkout. She had a cart full of groceries for her family and was wearing a traditional head covering you would expect a Muslim woman to wear. It's called a hijab. And she was also of Arab descent, best I could discern. I was next in line, so I walked up her and I simply said, Hi, my name is Greg. God has richly blessed my life. I have much more than I need. Would you allow me to buy your groceries? And she didn't tell me no, and so I just swiped my card. And she then said, thank you. Thank you so much. And I said, well, you're welcome. I'm a follower of Jesus, and it's a great blessing for me to be generous. So have a nice day. That was it. That's all that was said. The first simple application that we can make with Sabbath is the connection between Sabbath and giving. I want you to hear this. I hope you'll be encouraged by this. Christianity links them symbolically, and the two, the, the, the two sides of this, a similar coin of Sabbath and giving, they go together. Some of, you, some of you maybe have been in a more traditional liturgical style worship kind of church, and back in the day, we used these two, but, but there was a collection plate. When I say a collection plate, some of you visualize what that is. It's usually brass, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's got, it's got a, a big edge to it, and the bowl portion is only about two or three inches deep. Maybe has a little felt in the bottom, so if you put change in there, it doesn't clang, you know, in the, on the brass. And you have these collection plates, and they stack up nice, and so ushers send them down the aisles in traditional churches, and people put the offering in. We used to use collection plates at Union Chapel until our offerings got too big. And the plates weren't big enough to hold the offering. So we had to go from collection plates to buckets. Uh, we used Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets you know, for, for years. Took the kernel off and you know, just left, kind of left them blank. But we needed a bucket to hold, hold the offering. Now, you know, offerings have become a little more electronic. But um, what happens in these traditional churches is the ushers collect these plates with the offerings and then they bring them forward usually sung with the doxology or, or another uh, uh, spiritual song. And these plates are actually placed then on the altar table right next to the communion. So you got the offering sitting on the altar table and right next to the communion elements. And you, th you think, well, what's that about? Well, it's about the connection between these two things. It's symbolic of a very important instinct and practice that Christians should have to, to recognize giving as a sacred thing. And so Sabbath and giving, these things go very much together. Uh, in fact, we know that Sabbath was given to the Hebrews in the desert under Moses. You remember this. And they gave Sabbath to the world. By the time of Christ, the Jewish day of rest had spread throughout the known world. Here are some statements from writers Greek and Roman writers in the first century, for example, Phalo said, who has not shown his high respect for that sacred seventh day by giving rest and relaxation from labor to himself, to his neighbors, to his free men, slaves alike, and beyond these to his beasts. So everybody gets a day off. Roman statesman and philosopher Seneca, again, first century said about the customs of the Jews, they have gained such influence that they are now received throughout the whole world. The, the vanquished have given us laws 
to their victors. Acknowledging the, the, the laws of Sabbath uh, disseminated by the Jewish customs. In Rome, Josephus, again, first century, wrote that there was, quote, not any city of Greeks, nor any of the barbarians, nor any nation whatsoever where the Sabbath was not observed. That's fascinating, isn't it? So this concept, this practice of the seventh, on the seventh day, people rested, infiltrated the whole known world, the Greco-Roman world. We know from the writings of the Apostle Paul that being a Christian in the first century was not an easy thing to be. The monotheistic Jews stoned Christians. Uh, the polytheistic pagans of the Greco-Roman world hated Christians. Nero infamously burned Christians as fuel for lamps at his evening parties. Others were served to the lions in the Colosseum. Romans discriminated against Christians when they, were, when they hired. They wouldn't approve their mortgages. Yet in spite of all of those those barriers and that persecution, Christianity continued to grow in the first century. And even their detractors begrudgingly admitted that the Christians had one great attribute. They were generous. They were generous. In spite of all of the all of the bias and bigotry and hatred and persecution against Christians in the first century, Christianity continued to get traction and move forward. And one of the earmarks of those early believers was their generosity. Now, you know as well as I do that giving money makes no worldly sense. I mean, it's not intuitive. Why do you just give away your money? The same is true with the Sabbath. It's not intuitive. It doesn't come to us naturally. What comes to us naturally is hit it 24-7, hit it hard, don't stop. That's the value system. And yet the Sabbath has this enormous value. So obedience to the Sabbath tends toward generosity as well. It's good to take a Sabbath and it's good to give a Sabbath. Now, we know this is true historically, and we know it's true that Christians should be generous people, but unfortunately, Christians have a mixed record as far as the Sabbath and generosity is concerned. Let me explain. If you ask people who serve in restaurants when their least favorite time in the week to wait tables, what time do you think they... Sunday it's Sunday after church. Worst time of the week to be, a, to be a table server in a restaurant. This is when it gets really quiet among Christians. The workers in the restaurant don't complain that we're demanding or that we're rude. In fact, they find us to be relatively cheerful and happy to be there. What they find fault with is our lack of generosity. Now, when you think about it, there is no time when the teachings of the church should be fresher in the minds and hearts of people who follow Jesus than right after church. But apparently, we go from talking about generosity in the context of Sabbath, like in a sermon like this, we go, you know, that's, that's helpful to know. That, I, I see that connection. I, I'm going to try to... And then you go to the restaurant and you stiff the waiter. What is wrong with the picture? It's not good, is it? 
If you get nothing else from this sermon, please double down when it comes time for the tip at church. I want to give you a new standard for tipping. You know, it used to be 10%, then it went to 15. Now, this is kind of standard is 20% expectation. How about, why don't we just raise it to 50%? How about 100%? It's hilarious telling Christians to give 100% tip. Just the reaction on your faces. It's hilarious. You should be up here looking at this. You're looking at me like he's lost his mind. There is no way that's ever going to happen. Listen, if you cannot afford, afford a generous tip, then you cannot afford to eat out. That's the way you should look at it. It's hard for women. Most women have responsibility for food preparation in their homes. That's not always true, but most of the time that's true. And so a big tip for women is difficult, I've been told, because here's a person serving a table and they go, well, this is, this is like routine. This is what we all do all the time. So why should this get special recognition of any kind? And for men, we're just cheap. And that's what hinders us. We don't have any moral obliga- you know, thing against it. We're just cheap. So, so this is just a way to practice generosity by being generous. Let me just offer this challenge to you because this, is, this has happened to, my, to myself and to people I know. If, if your credit card or debit card company doesn't question a charge to a restaurant because you have tipped so well, you probably haven't been tipping enough. Because credit card companies go, there is no way somebody gave a 75% tip on a $100 bill, on a $100 charge. And so, the, so it flag, gets flagged. And credit card companies go, do you want us to make payment on this? Because it looks like people in the restaurant were up to shenanigans, putting that kind of tip on this thing. If you haven't got caught that way, probably not, probably not as generous as you need to be. I'm not getting through to anybody. I, I maybe, <laughs> maybe one or two people, that's about it. I don't know. So Sabbath and giving go together. Okay, here's the second point. Thank God we're moving off of that subject. Here's the second point. Sabbath and hospitality. Now let me explain. We have considered how Sabbath and giving are linked, because they are. Now take the next step. Giving and Sabbath are the main ingredients to hospitality. Now among my wife's many fine qualities is the ability to extend hospitality to others. She scores high on the gift of hospitality. I mean, she has a supernatural gift of hospitality. She's naturally hospitable and then that on top of it. Now, notice I didn't say she has the gift to entertain others because entertaining is about the host. Hospitality is about the guest. Note the difference. Hospitality allows us to enjoy the company of those with whom we may have little in common. I can be hospitable toward people who may be very, very different from me. Now, we live in a culture right now that is tearing itself apart by by mere identification, identity. You know, we call it identity politics. So it's it's what party do you support or what race or creed or social circle do, do do you dwell in? And these things just tend to separate and isolate us from one another. But hospitality actually asks us to put aside our differences and asks us to find common ground. 
It's caring for the guests. It's being open-hearted, open-handed toward those who are different. This is a powerful thing in the world, the gift of hospitality. The Hebrew Sabbath would begin at sundown. We know this is how it was practiced, and, and it happened at the end of the work week on Friday, and it would start with a meal. Now, this is a practice that can be, that can be embraced in the context of Sabbath that many families in America have gotten away from. Could I just encourage you? There are some, there are some family traditions that you live in where the matriarch, this is usually grandma, grandma insists, for example, that you come to her house every Sunday afternoon after church to have dinner. And you bring yourself and you bring your stubborn husband and you bring your grandkids. The grandkids have to be there. Your stubborn husband, he's optional, but the grandkids have to be there for sure. And grandma expects this. And and you know you're stuck going to grandma's house until Jesus comes or until grandma goes on because that's just what she expects. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And families have gotten away from, because of all the pressure points, have gotten away from doing meals together as a family. Could I, could, I just, could I just ask that you designate at least one meal every week where you and your entire immediate family are going to sit down and have a meal together? There is, there is implied intimacy there. There's conversation there. There's connection there. Um, if, if I'm a parent raising children today, I don't allow phones at the table. I just, I wouldn't allow that because folks aren't connecting with each other if they're staring at their phone. I was greeting people today as people were coming in and there were probably a dozen people who completely missed an opportunity to say, Hey, there's the pastor. Good morning, pastor. They walked right by me. And the reason they didn't see me is they were in looking at their phone. I walked in, I walked into the to the prep room between services and the whole worship team was in there and all of them were sitting at the table going like this and I walked in and I said, I got a phone too. <laughs> I don't know how to use it, but it's, I got one. I just thought I wanted to be part of the group. Everyone's got their phone out. It's interesting, isn't it? So we've lost connection. We've lost intimacy. We've lost, we've lost the warmth and the meaning of these connections. And Sabbath and hospitality can renew that. Can I, can I just can I just appeal to you to engage that again? My favorite uh, TV program of all time is the Andy Griffith Show, the black and white versions from the 1960s. Um, I have watched every episode of Andy Griffith many times. Our sons uh, are familiar with Andy Griffith. Our youngest son, Isaac, can literally, if you put an episode of Andy Griffith on the screen, he could, he could anticipate the next actor's statement by saying it for them. He, he's watched it so much that he knows, he knows all of the banter. It's amazing. And my favorite episode of all the episodes in Andy Griffith is entitled A Man in a Hurry. And it was an occasion when, on a Sunday morning, a, a, a very important businessman, he's got a really nice new car, and he's, he's got the business suit and the whole thing, 
and he's driving to an important business meeting for Monday morning, and he's on the road on Sunday, and his car breaks down in Mayberry. And the whole episode is about him getting frustrated about not being able to find anybody who can help him fix his car on Sunday because it's the Sabbath and nothing's open. The garage isn't open. The mechanics, I mean, and he, and he just, his frustration level just gets higher and higher because nobody's going to help him. Now, we can help you first thing tomorrow and we're happy to do it, but not today. It's the Sabbath. And so the whole program is focused on the Sabbath. My favorite scene in this particular episode is when the man has been invited to dinner, of course, at Andy's house, and Aunt B's fixed a beautiful lunch. And it's after the meal, and Andy and Barney are sitting on the front porch, and they're singing a song about an old church in the Wildwood. And this man in a hurry comes out on the porch, and watch this as the effect comes to him. This is the Sabbath. He had achieved Sabbath just before Gomer Pyle and broke the, broke the mood again. The Sabbath and hospitality. Last point, very simply, Sabbath and the local church. Young people are leaving the church in droves. Did you know that? Even church kids who go off to college, kids who've been in church their whole lives, they get to the university in the United States right now and about 70% of them drop out of the church, never to return. Young people are leaving the church in droves. Um, local churches of all stripes across the country have a default setting right now, and it's older and smaller. Churches are becoming older and smaller. It's not good. And there have been lots of explanations profited for the reasons for this, and they are many and varied and they're complex and none of them are, are good. But one of the reasons for, the, for this dropout rate, I think, pertains to parents. I'm gonna put this statement on the screen to be a little more provocative. One reason is that most children do exactly what they are taught and they see their parents worshiping many lesser gods in today's culture. And as a result, they are easily distracted as well. We raised two boys. Um, if you were here last week, you got to uh, meet them perhaps or at least see them on a video. Our boys had to keep the Sabbath by working at it really, really hard, especially in their teenage years. Both of them were athletes. Um, if the choice came between an AAU traveling team or a game or a social activity rather than attending worship on Sunday and youth group on Sunday evenings, um, this became really hard for them and especially hard for their parents to maintain an honorable approach to the Sabbath. And both of our boys were invited onto teams in the summer, AAU teams that were very competitive teams. It was a real privilege to be invited into these teams. And when they would come to me and they said, I've been invited to be on this team, and they were very excited about it, I said, well, when do these teams play? They play on the weekends. I said, they play on Sundays. Yes. 
are they are the games all local? No, no, they're all. It's a travel team. Yeah, we have to travel all over the Midwest to go to these games. And I said, well, you know, that's that's a problem. That's a problem. And they would push back and say, well, you have to participate to stay competitive. You know, the coaches expect us to play on these teams all year round. All my friends are doing it. Why can't I do it? And then there was also peer pressure from other parents, which you're aware of. I heard things such as just because your kids aren't participating isn't going to stop it. I had one young parent, young father, got in my grill one Sunday after church, got right up in my space. And he said, you know, you're not going to stop the youth sports and youth activities on Sunday mornings. I mean, it's part of the culture now. And so you can complain about it and preach against it all you want, but you're not going to stop it. This is what everybody does now. And I remember looking at that young father right in the eye, and I said, yeah, well, lots of people are going to hell. But it doesn't mean I have to go. So I'm not playing along. I'm not playing along. Jesus said he would give rest to those who labored, who were weary and heavy laden. No group in our society labors harder than parents who raise children to serve multiple gods. That's got to be a hard job in today's culture. I mean, you got you to serve Jesus. You know, Jesus is important, kids. And then, well, we can't, we can't really honor the Sabbath this week or next week or the week after that because we've got dance, we've got a recital, we've got soccer, we've got football, we've got baseball, we've got all kinds of conflicts. So maybe we, can, maybe we can catch something from the children's program or the youth program online later in the week. Maybe, maybe we can do that. Let me put this statement on the screen because we just need sometimes to say what's obvious. Children learn more from what their parents do than from what we say. You reproduce who you are, not what you say. That's the way the world works. That's the way it goes around. Now, I understand it's an imperfect system, and sometimes you do the very best you can, try the hardest you can to maintain the standards and to honor the Sabbath and all that stuff, and, it's, and your kids still just wander away from the faith. I understand stuff happens, but let me just say that your children have an exponentially higher possibility of actually getting back to a meaningful faith if you've laid the right foundations in their lives, you've planted the right seeds there. Than they, than they do if you get sloppy and casual about that part of their lives. Lots of people like to quote from Joshua twenty four fifteen. This is where Joshua famously said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. People say that with great conviction and boldness and so forth. And then they start compromising along the way. Listen, you can, you can write... Joshua 24, 15 on the side of your garage or post it in, on a wall in your house or write it on the mirror where you, where you shave every morning or put your makeup on. But unless you actually do it, it will have no effect. Well, your boys probably fell behind athletically. We can't tell they fell behind at all. In fact, we think it catapulted them forward. 
Now, I, I know that God has blessed us and God has honored us. And, and uh, there was a young couple on the video last week who said, Greg and Beth taught us as a couple how to live under, as a family under an open heaven. And I was so encouraged to hear that because Beth and I have lived under an open heaven. See, when the Bible says, if, if you disobey the boundaries that God puts in place for you, then you and your family will, will be cursed for four generations, generation after generation. Have you ever seen a family under a curse? I see it every day of my life. We talk to these parents and we try to care for these kids under a curse because of sloppiness and an unwillingness to follow in obedience to God's best design. But the scripture also goes on to say, but for those who obey is the blessing of God that continues for a thousand generations. See, that's the one I shoot for. I, see, I want to I start something that's going to go for a thousand generations of God's blessing and God's provision and God's favor. So we live under an open heaven. In our case, we said to the boys, you're not, you're not going to play on an AAU team that keeps you away from church, away from the worship of God, away from honoring the fourth commandment, which is the, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and so that it, it keeps you from engaging as a leader in our, in our youth program. You, you don't have to go because it's the rule. You have to go because you're a leader, and God has given you influence, and that's why you're here on the planet, to influence people for Jesus' sake. And it was difficult, and it was a struggle, and it was painful, and it was hard. It was hard on the kids, and it was hard on the parents, but it's the right thing to do, so you do what is right, which is the admonition of our text today from Isaiah 56, verse 2. Do what's right. In our case, both of our boys have, have state championship rings in basketball in the state of Indiana. How many families can say that? They must have fallen behind. Doesn't seem like they did. Seemed like they missed out on much. So I, I know that you can, do, you can do just about everything you know is right, do the right thing, and it doesn't always work out. I understand but listen, you've planted seeds. You've sown good seed. And so now your kids, so when you pray, Lord, I trust my kids, my wayward kids into your care. Lord, I trust you to bring them back to you because I know now that you're the most important thing they need to know. And so I, I pray, God, that you'll draw them back to yourself. So you, get, you got, that prayer, has, that prayer has potential now because you laid a good foundation. And if you're a young person listening to me thinking, well, what are you saying? My generation is lost and hopeless? No, just, just the opposite. There, there's a generation of young people that I believe God is raising up that is going to represent and lead the next great awakening. I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. It won't be the first time in, in history that young people have led the next revolution. And there are all kinds of reasons why young people are dropping out of the church that have to do with disappointment related to culture, you know, and, and, 
and you know, there's a long list of grievances that young people have with the church these days. Okay. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to compromise the unmutable truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're not going to stop calling young people to say yes to the great mandate and mission that God has given to them and their generation to make a difference in the world. And I, I believe this, that God's going to use one of these emerging generations to turn this whole thing around. There's going to be another move of God in our culture, and they're going to lead it. And we have to be the faithful ones who lay the foundations in their heart, planting the right seeds for that future. It's good preaching right there. You know, parenting, parenting is arguably the hardest, most important work that anyone ever does. It's really important. So why not let the Lord of the Sabbath and his day do some of the heavy lifting for you? It's really tough. Really tough. We've got Jesus. He's one of our gods. And then we've got, then we got soccer. That's one of our gods. And we've got dance. That's one of our gods. And the reason we know this one of our gods is because of the amount of time and the amount of money that we invest running around trying to accommodate all of this, all this uh, stuff, extracurricular. And listen, I get it. I get it. I was, I was raised in the context of extracurricular. That's the only reason I kept going to school because, you know, I got to bounce a ball at the end of the day. Otherwise, what incentive do I have to go to school? <laughs> so I get it. I understand the values there. I understand the, how beneficial it is to character and development and all that. I, listen, you're, you, don't, you don't have to convince me. I'm just telling you that there are priorities that will cause an open heaven in your life and your family. And there are, there are other things that you can, you can get distracted by and lose your primary focus and miss the opportunity for God's special blessing and favor. Just appealing to you. Come on, wake up. Wake up. Going to church is another issue. You know, the Apostle Paul referred to the church as a body. The foot can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. So every part is important. Every part of the body is beneficial. A cell from her body can, can exist, but it can't grow. You can exist as a Christian without being connected to others in a local church, but you won't reach your full potential. It's not possible. So for many people, coming to church is one of the important ways to honor the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. And just a word about the technology we have, and especially forced into it by COVID when we couldn't gather and assemble together like we are now, and folks have adjusted to being online, and, and I get it. It's, it's a great technology. We want to leverage it any way we can. We've led people to Jesus for months just online. Uh, we know that there are people who's, who've, whose health is vulnerable and, and because of distance or what, whatever that they tune in. And we've seen new, lots of new people come into the life of our church through the technology, and that's all great and good. No one does a better job of producing meaningful programming than we do online. We have a great team of people, so we're all in with all of that. Having said that, being online is not a substitute for assembling ourselves together 
and being in the presence of God together and connecting with one another. It just isn't. Let's not pretend that it is. It never has been uh, a meaningful substitute, and it never will be a meaningful substitute for assembling ourselves together. And so for those of you that this is a requirement for you because of your health or because of distance or because of your circumstances to be online, welcome. We're glad you're here. We love that you're here. And we, we're accommodating this, this media as best we can and apparently doing a good job. People tell us that we are. But let's stop pretending. Let's stop. And COVID has become a convenient excuse for many, many people. And let's stop pretending. So, <laughs> by the way, I'm 66 years old. I haven't missed a week of being here. I put my mask on, and then I took it off. I, I got vaccinated, and now my mask is off. I'm a fully vaccinated person. I don't care who else is wearing a mask or who isn't. I don't care. What do I care? I'm vaccinated. What do I care? Wear a mask, fine. I don't need a mask. I'm fully vaccinated. Plus, I think I've had the thing, too. <laughs> I probably have the antibodies, you know, on top of antibodies. So I'm not freaked out anymore about this. So stepping into Sabbath usually involves stepping out of other things. Adjustments have to be made. So my question to you in this whole series is simply this. Are you willing to make those adjustments? Because if you've not been practicing the Sabbath, something's got to change in order to make the adjustment. Many businesses close one day a week. B&H Photo, for example, in New York City, in addition to closing their 70,000 square foot retail business on the Sabbath, B&H shuts down their extensive internet sales for 24 hours each week. Amazing. Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby, B&H Photo, many other businesses close one day a week. In shutting their doors, they declare their faith. They say that something is more important than profit. By doing so, they say the customer is not always right. That one day a week, God becomes their focus and he is their source. This is why, this is why I'm, I've mentioned this already that driving by a Chick-fil-A or a Hobby Lobby here in our own town is almost impossible for me to go by without stopping and handing them money. Listen, there's a spiritual phenomenon attached to this. The favor of God sits on these businesses. The favor of God. So if, if, if one of the, the, the Kathy family members who privately own Chick-fil-A come out with a statement about about what they believe about traditional marriage. We believe marriage is, is about, is about a man, one man and one woman for life. And the whole world screams at them, and let's boycott Chick-fil-A. Nobody's going to Chick-fil-A. They're evil. They hate people. Nobody go to Chick-fil-A. I just, I just think that's charming. It's hilarious. Let me tell you what all that does. It guarantees that for the next month or six weeks, you cannot get into a Chick-fil-A. People, this happened in Indianapolis a couple of years ago. Under those circumstances, this was a Chick-fil-A that's a quarter mile from where our oldest son lives. 
and, and the TV news people were from Indianapolis were at that Chick-fil-A and there were people standing in line. There were people, I mean, the parking lot was completely full and then out of the parking lot and down the street and up the road and blocking traffic, people just sitting there. One guy's standing there. He doesn't have a car. He's just standing in a line. <laughs> what are you doing here? He said, I'm just waiting for a chicken sandwich. So how long have you been here? He said, oh, about three hours. You know, it looked like he had about three hours to go. Why are you doing this? He said, I'm just hungry for a chicken sandwich. <laughs> this happens. This is the favor of God. This is called living under an open heaven. It's what, it's, it's what happens. I drive by Hobby Lobby, and I, I, I'm telling you, I just I have this impulse. I, I, I fight it off the best I can. I have this impulse to just go in there and hand them $20. Did you want to buy something, sir? No, I don't need any of the knickknacks. I just need to give you this money. Because the blessing and favor of God is on the whole organization, the whole family. You want to live under an open heaven. This is how you find salvation. I'm encouraging myself right now. I'm seriously, God, God is smiling on me right now. I, I sense his presence. Eugene Peterson said it this way. I'm, I got to finish. I put this on the screen. Sabbath is a time to transition from human doings to human beings. Last verse, Psalm 4610. Look at it. Here's the first line. Be still and know that I am God. Now watch this. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. Be still and know that. Be still and know. Be still and be still. Lord, today help us to connect the Sabbath with our generosity and our giving. Help us to connect it with hospitality, breaking down barriers and inviting family and others, even those extremely different than us, into the family of rest and communion. And Lord, help us connect Sabbath to the local church and how the assembling of ourselves together is a central means by which we can honor the Sabbath. So Lord, give us grace, the grace we need, the strength we need to remember the Sabbath day in order to keep it holy. In Jesus' name we pray. All the people said, amen. Stand up with us.